Chapter Forty of California Sketches by Oscar Penn Fitzgerald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty: The California Politician. The California politician of the early days was plucky. He had to be so, for faint heart won no votes in those rough times. One of the marshals, Tom or Ned, I forget which, at the beginning of a stump speech one night in the mines, was interrupted by a storm of hisses and execrations from a turbulent crowd of fellows, many of whom were full of whiskey. He paused a moment, drew himself up to his full height, coolly took a pistol from his pocket, laid it on the stand before him, and said, I have seen bigger crowds than this many a time. I want it to be fully understood that I came here to make a speech tonight, and I am going to do it, or else there will be a funeral or two. That touch took with that crowd. The one thing they all believed in was courage. Marshall made one of his grandest speeches, and at the close the delighted miners bore him in triumph from the rostrum that was a curious exordium of uncle peter meehan when he made his first stump speech at sonora fellow citizens i was born an orphan at a very early period of my life he was a candidate for supervisor and the good-natured miners elected him triumphantly he made a good supervisor which is another proof that book learning and elegant rhetoric are not essential where there are integrity and native good sense uncle peter never stole anything and he was usually on the right side of all questions that claimed the attention of county fathers of tuolumne in the early days the virginians new yorkers and tennesseans led in politics trained to the stump at home the virginians and tennesseans were ready on all occasions to run a primary meeting a convention or a canvass there was scarcely a mining camp in the state in which there was not a leading local politician from one or both of these states the new yorker understood all the inside management of party organization and was up to all the smart tactics developed in the lively struggles of parties in the times when whiggery and democracy fiercely fought for rule in the empire state broderick was a new yorker trained by tammany in its palmy days he was a chief who rose from the ranks and ruled by force of will thick-set strong-limbed full-chested with immense driving power in his back head he was an athlete whose stalwart physique was of more value to him than the gift of eloquence or even the power of money the sharpest lawyers and the richest money kings alike went down before this uncultured and moneyless man who dominated the clans of san francisco simply by right of his manhood he was not without a sort of eloquence of his own he spoke right to the point and his words fell like the thud of a shillelagh or rang like the clash of steel he dealt with the rough elements of politics in an exciting and turbulent period of california politics and was more of a border chief than an ivanhoe in his modes of warfare he reached the united states senate and in his first speech in that august body he honored his manhood by an allusion to his father a stonemason whose hands said broderick had helped to erect the very walls of the chamber in which he spoke when a man gets as high as the united states senate there is less tax upon his magnanimity in acknowledging his humble origin than while he is lower down the ladder you seldom hear a man boast how low he began until he is far up toward the summit of his ambition 
ninety-nine out of every hundred self-made men are at first more or less sensitive concerning their low birth the hundredth man who is not is a man indeed broderick's great rival was gwyn the men were antipodes in everything except that they belonged to the same party gwyn still lives the most colossal figure in the history of california he looks the man he is of immense frame ruddy complexion deep blue eyes that almost blaze when he is excited rugged yet expressive features a massive head crowned with a heavy suit of silver-white hair he is marked by nature for leadership common men seem dwarfed in his presence after he had dropped out of california politics for a while a sacramento hotel-keeper expressed what many felt during a legislative session i find myself looking around for gwen i miss the chief my first acquaintance with dr gwen began with an incident that illustrates the man and the times it was in eighteen fifty six the legislature was in session at sacramento and a united states senator was to be elected i was making a tentative movement towards starting a southern methodist newspaper and visited sacramento on that business my friend major p l solomon was there and took a friendly interest in my enterprise he proposed to introduce me to the leading men of both parties and i thankfully availed myself of his courtesy among the first to whom he presented me was a noted politician who both before and since has enjoyed a national notoriety and who still lives and is as ready as ever to talk or fight his name i need not give i presented to him my mission and he seemed embarrassed i am with you of course my mother was a methodist and all my sympathies are with the methodist church i am a southern man in all my convictions and impulses and i am a southern methodist in principle but you see sir i am a candidate for a united states senator and sectional feeling is likely to enter into the contest and if it were known that my name was on your list of subscribers it might endanger my election he squeezed my arm told me he loved me and my church said he would be happy to see me often and so forth but he did not give me his name i left him saying in my heart here is a politician going on together in the corridor we met gwen solomon introduced me and told him my business i am glad to know that you are going to start a southern methodist newspaper no church can do without its organ put me down on your list and come with me and i will make all these fellows subscribe there is not much religion among them i fear but we will make them take the paper this was said in a hearty and pleasant way and he took me from man to man until i had gotten more than a dozen names among them two or three of his most active political opponents this incident exhibits the two types of the politician and the two classes of men to be found in all communities the one all blarney and selfishness the other with real manhood redeeming poor human nature and saving it from utter contempt the senatorial prize eluded the grasp of both aspirants but the reader will not be at a loss to guess whose side i was on dr gwyn made a friend that day and never lost him it was this sort of fidelity to friends that when fortune frowned on the grand old senator after the collapse at appomattox rallied thousands of true hearts to his side among whom were those who had fought him in many a fierce political battle broderick and gwyn were both by a curious turn of political fortune elected by the same legislature to the united states senate 
broderick sleeps in lone mountain and gwen still treads the stage of his former glory a living monument of the days when california politics was half romance and half tragedy the friend and protege of general andrew jackson a member of the first constitutional convention of california twice united states senator a prominent figure in the civil war the father of the great pacific railway he is the front figure on the canvas of california history gwen was succeeded by mcdougall what a man was he his face was as classic as a greek statue it spoke the student and the scholar in every line his hair was snow-white his eyes bluish-gray and his form sinewy and elastic he went from illinois with baker and other men of genius and soon won a high place at the bar of san francisco i heard it said by an eminent jurist that when mcdougall had put his whole strength into the examination of a case his side of it was exhausted his reading was immense his learning solid his election was doubtless a surprise to himself as well as to the california public the day before he left for washington city i met him in the street and as we parted i held his hand a moment and said your friends will watch your career with hope and with fear he knew what i meant and said quickly i understand you you are afraid that i will yield to my weakness for strong drink but you may be sure that i will play the man and california shall have no cause to blush on my account that was his fatal weakness no one looking upon his pale scholarly face and noting his faultlessly neat apparel and easy graceful manners would have thought of such a thing yet he was a i falter in writing it a drunkard at times he drank deeply and madly when half intoxicated he was almost as brilliant as hamlet and as rollicking as falstaff it was said that even when fully drunk his splendid intellect never entirely gave way mcdougall commands as much attention in the senate when drunk as any other senator does when sober said a congressman in washington in eighteen sixty six it is said that his great speech on the question of confiscation at the beginning of the war was delivered when he was in a state of semi-intoxication be that as it may it exhausted the whole question and settled the policy of the government i never saw him again for the first few months he wrote me often and then his letters came at longer intervals and then they ceased and then the newspapers disclosed the shameful secret california's brilliant senator was a drunkard the temptations of the capital were too strong for him he went down into the black waters a complete wreck he returned to the old home of his boyhood in new jersey to die i learned that he was lucid and penitent at the last they brought his body back to san francisco to be buried and when at his funeral the words i know that my redeemer liveth in clear soprano rang through the vaulted cathedral like a peal of triumph i indulged the hope that the spirit of my gifted and fated friend had through the mercy of the friend of sinners gone from his boyhood hills up to the hills of god the typical california politician was Coffroth the boys fondly called him jim coffroth there was no surer sign of popularity than a popular abbreviation of this sort unless it is a pet nickname coffroth was from pennsylvania where he had gained an inkling of politics and general literature 
he gravitated into california politics by the law of his nature he was born for this having what a friend calls the gift of popularity his presence was magnetic his laugh was contagious his enthusiasm was irresistible no one ever thought of taking offence at jim coffroth he could change his politics with impunity without losing a friend he never had a personal enemy but i believe he only made that experiment once he went off with the know-nothings in eighteen fifty five and was elected by them to the state senate and was called to preside over their state convention he hastened back to his old party associates and at the first convention that met in his county on his return from the legislature he rose and told them how lonesome he had felt while astray from the old fold how glad he was to get back and how humble he felt concluding by advising all his late supporters to do as he had done by taking a straight shoot for the old party he ended amid a storm of applause was reinstated at once and was made president of the next democratic state convention there he was in his glory his tact and good humor were unbounded and he held those hundreds of excitable and explosive men in the hollow of his hand he would dismiss a dangerous motion with a witticism so apt that the mover himself would join in the laugh and give it up his broad face in repose was that of a quaker at other times that of a bacchus there was a religious streak in this jolly partisan and he published several poems that breathed the sweetest and loftiest religious sentiment the newspapers were a little disposed to make a joke of these ebullitions of devotional feeling but they now make the light that casts a gleam of brightness upon the background of his life i take from an old volume of the christian spectator one of these poems as a literary curiosity every man lives two lives the rollicking politician jim coffroth every californian knew the author of these lines was another man of the same name amid the silence of the night behold he that keepeth israel shall neither slumber nor sleep psalm hundred and twenty one verse four amid the silence of the night amid its lonely hours and dreary when we close the aching sight musing sadly lorn and weary trusting that to-morrow's light may reveal a day more cheery amid affliction's darker hour when no hope beguiles our sadness when death's hurtling tempests lower and forever shroud our gladness while grief's unrelenting power goads our stricken hearts to madness when from friends beloved we're parted and from scenes our spirits love and are driven broken-hearted o'er a heartless world to rove when the woes by which we've smarted vainly seek to melt or move when we trust and are deluded when we love and are denied when the schemes o'er which we brooded burst like mist on mountain side and from every hope excluded we in dark despair abide then and ever god sustains us he whose eye no slumber knows who controls each throb that pains us and in mercy sends our woes and by love severe constrains us to avoid eternal throes happy he whose heart obeys him lost and ruined who disown oh if idols e'er displace him tear them from his chosen throne 
may our lives and language praise him may our hearts be his alone he took defeat with a good nature that robbed it of its sting and made his political opponents half sorry for having beaten him he was talked of for governor at one time and he gave us a reason why he would like the office that a great many of his friends were in the state prison and he wanted to use the pardoning power in their behalf this was a jest of course referring to the fact that as a lawyer much of his practice was in the criminal courts he was never suspected of treachery or dishonor in public or private life his very ambition was unselfish he was always ready to sacrifice himself in a hopeless candidacy if he could thereby help his party or a friend his good nature was tested once while presiding over a party convention at sonora for the nomination of candidates for legislature and county offices among the delegates was the eccentric john Vallou, whose mind was a singular compound of shrewdness and flightiness and was stored with the most out-of-the-way scraps of learning philosophy and poetry someone proposed Vallou's name as a candidate for the legislature he rose to his feet with a clouded face and in an angry voice said mr president i am surprised and mortified i have lived in this county more than seven years and i have never had any difficulty with my neighbors i did not know that i had an enemy in the world what have i done that it should be proposed to send me to the legislature what reason has any one to think i am that sort of a man to think i should have come to this to propose to send me to the legislature when it is a notorious fact that you have never sent a man thither from this county who did not come back morally and pecuniarily ruined the crowd saw the point and roared with laughter coffroth who had served the previous session joining heartily in the merriment valvalu was excused coffroth died suddenly and his destiny was transferred to another sphere so there dropped out of california life a partisan without bitterness a satirist without malice a wit without a sting the jolliest freest readiest man that ever faced a california audience on the hustings the typical politician of california End of chapter forty